Let's open up our Bibles and let's dig in. So every now and then we break classic modern church pastor rules. <laughs> like starting a series with your first week being right before you have two weeks of guest speakers. So that when you do the second one in the series, everybody goes, wait, what was that? Did we do that before? Um, but that's, we were just trying to be obedient to the Lord. And, and uh, we started talking three weeks ago now about uh, God bringing us in the new seasons and how to prepare for that. And, you know, the first thing we had to do was let God prepare our own hearts to believe that, okay, this, this could, God could do this. Um, to be okay with change, not to be just okay with change, but to embrace change. And I believe that um, part of that, I think, is, is individual. Of course, everything that we see in the scripture, we can look at it individually. But I, I think um, as you mature as a believer, you know, Ephesians 4 says part of maturity is actually maturing into one. It, it's into oneness. It's into uni unity. It's into Christ. And so uh, I think a mature believer, and this is one of the ways that you can, you can tell if you're maturing, is you think less about just me. And more about, you know, the larger picture of you in the context of the body of Christ. So sometimes when you have people that, you know, you might, you might know a lot. You might think you've got a lot going for you. But you still just think about this is what God wants to do in me and me and me. There's nothing wrong with saying what does God want to do in me. Um, but I believe a fuller picture is how do I fit in the larger body of Christ and what does God want to do in us, you know? And, and uh, I think that's a great thing about growing up. You know, a, a child is really self-centered. Um, and that's okay for a bit, you know? For a kid, you know, they, they want to know when am I going to eat? They really, you know, my son doesn't care if I'm hungry. That's not entering his head. He's hungry, you know? Um, but as they grow... You, you begin to say, okay, this isn't just about me. There's, there's something bigger going on. And so in, in the same way, I believe that God is bringing some of you into new seasons. And I want you to hear it for you. But I also believe that God's bringing us into different season. And we need to be ready as a people. Um, because like I've said before, there's been times where I think that God's uh, brought us to a place where it was time to go into a new season. And we just kind of hit our head on the ceiling and bounced back and, and uh, took another uh, trip around the mountain. You know, and, and by the mercy of God, he, he doesn't say that was your chance, you're out. Um, he's faithful, right? Yeah. But, you know, I, I, we don't take for granted the mercy of God. We certainly don't take advantage of it. Um, we, want, we want to move into what he's called us to. And so uh, today I'd like to just talk about, um, and, and three weeks ago we said we would do this, but talk about praying through praying into the next season. How, how does God prepare us through prayer and through fasting um, for new seasons in our life and new seasons as a church? And, and how is God going to use our prayer um, to, to do a few things in us? And the three things I, I want to talk about, and I don't mean to be too uh, kitschy, but uh, I think through, the, through our prayers, when we're, try, when we're walking into a different season, we're walking into a new season, the first thing we want is God to inform us. We, you know, this is kind of our natural thing, is God, tell me what's coming up. And that's good. You know, the Bible says, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would tell you things that are to come, right? Um, but that's probably the, the uh, most surface thing that God's doing in you when you're preparing for a new season. We want God to inform us. He wants to inform you. He wants to tell you things you don't know. Secondly, we want God to transform us, right? I want God to change me into who I need to be for this new season. Because you might not realize this, but when you're stepping into a new season or a season of stretching, God's got new things for you. He, he, he's going to transform you in a way that you're ready for it. I think of Solomon. When Solomon was going to become king, he said, Lord, I, I don't know how to do this. My dad was good at this. I know you were with him. I had no idea how to do this. He says, I'm, a, I'm like a child right now. You realize he's a full-grown man, but he says, I'm a child. I, I don't know what to do. And one of the things he said is, I don't know how to go out, and I don't know how to come in. And, and, and classically, in, in the Old Testament, even in the New, you see that language used when it's talking about leaders. You know, uh, uh, talks about David going out and coming in. It talks about Moses saying, this is, you know, my season. He says, it's no longer time for me to go out and come in. Joshua, he's going to go out and come in. Uh, a lot of that had to do with leading, leading the people out, leading them in. But I think a lot of that also has to do with, with new seasons, knowing how to come out of one and going into another. 
Solomon says, I have no idea how to do that. I have no idea how to come out. I don't know how to come in. And, and what he does is he asks God, and a lot of times we say, you know, he asks for wisdom, or does he ask for uh, judgment? But really the scripture tells us, some of our translations say discernment, some of them say understanding, but in the literal Hebrew, he asks for a hearing heart. And what God does is he says, I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to give you a hearing heart. I'm going to give you wisdom you don't have. See, what Solomon's asking for is, yeah, he's asking, I need to know some things I don't know. I don't know how to be king. But he's not just saying, tell me how to be king. He's also saying, change me into the kind of person I need to be to be king. King Saul experienced this, remember? I mean, where did they find King Saul? Hiding in the luggage. Hiding in the luggage where all great leaders are born. <laughs> I remember one time uh, when we were, we were in uh, the Manila airport, my sister, bless her heart, um, was so innocent and trustworthy. Now, innocence can also be labeled naivete, right? You know, sometimes it's just being naive. And she was innocent in the sense that she just had no idea that, you know, she was just a, she was, what, 18, 19? She had no idea that boys were looking at her. Had no concept of it, really didn't pay attention to it. So we fly into Manila, and you know the best thing when you're flying into new airports and new countries? Manila's a wonderful place. Many of you here know that. It's a great place. But any place, you know, you don't wear a nice, fancy summer dress. You wear something that doesn't draw a lot of attention because we're already the, 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 the people that don't really blend in right now. And we got this young teenager that's got this nice flowing summer dress. And, and all of a sudden, we see a crowd start to turn. And we actually saw attendants crawling out of the baggage carousel looking. <laughs> Heads popping out of the baggage carousel. <laughs> We're like, Liberty, just, just put a sweatshirt on or something. Come on. She wasn't in any way immodest. In fact, she was, it was a long... Uh, dress that went down her ankles. She was in no way immodest, but she was, she was dressed pretty. And you know what? Last thing we need in, the, in an airport is for someone to be dressed pretty. Just, just dress slouchy. Let's get through it. And so, I, I mean, I think, of, I think of King Saul hiding in the luggage. And I, I, I picture those faces popping up in the baggage carousel. Except Saul didn't want to pop out. He wanted to stay hidden. And one of the things that Samuel tells him is that he's got to go and he's going to go on a little journey. And in this journey, God's going to do some things in him. And, and Samuel tells him his whole trip before he takes it. Tells him what he's going to find out. Isn't that amazing? Samuel just says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go here, and they're going to say this to you. And you're going to go here, and they're going to say this. And then, and then you're going to come up here, and you're going to meet some musicians, and they're going to be prophesying. And, and one of the things he said is, when you run into this group of prophets with their instruments, he says, you're going to be changed into another man. And we know that what happened was he gets around these guys and he doesn't take a class in prophecy. But by hanging around them, there's a spirit that comes on him. The spirit comes on him. Not a spirit, but the spirit of God comes on him. And it says he's changed into another man. So nothing wrong with who Saul is. Well, there may be some things wrong with who Saul is. But Saul isn't who he needs to be when it's time to be king. Solomon wasn't who he needed to be. Until it was time to be king. Now, now you are, you're fine as Solomon the prince. You're fine as Solomon the guy. But now you need to be something different. Because it's a new season that's going to require different things of you. So in that time, he knows enough to say, not only do I not know what I need to know, I'm not who I need to be. So God, God inform me, but God transform me. And the third thing through these new seasons that God's going to do is he's going to conform us to his image. That's one of the greatest things about being stretched beyond what we're able to do on our own. Every new season requires something of us that we don't have. And the best thing about it, whether it's a season of adversity or of a season of opportunity, because how many of you know that when you have opportunity, when there's a season of advancement, when there's a season of, 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 of stepping into something new, it's going to be a lot like a season of adversity. Season of adversity and season of opportunity, they kind of require the same things of you. They're going to stretch you beyond your measure. They're going to require you to rely on Jesus. They're going to requ require you to walk in grace, right? Mm -hmm. You can't do this on your own. Right. 
Sometimes we think, oh, no, we use this stuff when things are hard. No, you need this stuff when things are good. And in those seasons, you're going to become more like Jesus. The more you lean into Jesus, the more like Jesus you're going to become. Those are the three levels I see because the first level seems like the most important. God, give me the information I need, which is wonderful, and he'll do it, but it's probably the least important thing he's doing in you. Secondly, he's changing you, which is wonderful, into who you need to be. He's adding new things to you, to your arsenal. He's, he's, he's causing you to be a new person. But thirdly, he's causing you to be more like him. And that's the greatest thing that happens to us in these seasons is we, grow, we draw closer to Jesus and we become more like Jesus. Like, that's, that's the goal of life, isn't it? So I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts. And, and we're going to go to Acts 13. I want to make a point before we do that in Acts 1... Um, Jesus told the church to wait for him in Jerusalem until he'd send this promise of the Spirit. Can anybody tell me what they did in Jerusalem while they were waiting? They prayed. They know something new is coming. They don't know what it is. But they prayed. Now, most of us in our timeline, we say they prayed, then the Holy Spirit came. But that's not exactly how the timeline goes. 120 of them were gathered in the upper room. They're praying they're eating that. They're not leaving the upper room because, hey, the one thing we need to know, we don't know whatever, whenever it's happening, we don't know when, but we know we should be together. They're praying, but before the Spirit comes, Peter stands up and says, guys, we've got to replace Judas. And in fact, he goes and says, don't you know that it, it's been prophesied thousand years, you know, over a thousand years ago, it was prophesied that we would need to replace a guy? You see, he didn't come to that revelation before they were praying. It was through prayer that God said, you're not quite ready for what I'm going to do. The circle needs to be completed. There's, there's a piece missing. So, you know, so many times we're so pumped. We're so pumped for new seasons. We're like, all right, let's get together. Let's strategize. All right, get the whiteboard out. Here's what's coming up. But you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Right? I know that's a big, I don't know what I don't know. Of course you don't know what you don't know. The problem is you don't know that you don't know what you don't know, right? So we can sit and have a nice strategy session, but uh, it's kind of the blind leading the blind until you get to a place where God's able to speak into that and say, here's what you need for this next season. So the church is ready. They're waiting because you know what? Jesus didn't tell them, replace Judas. Jesus didn't give them that information. All they know is we're supposed to pray together. But in that time of preparation, God gives them a piece they're missing. And the Holy Spirit couldn't come until they put that missing piece in. So what do they do? They find their two best guys. <laughs> two best guys that would fit the bill. Had to be somebody as that was there and witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. Had to be somebody that was with them through the ministry of Jesus. All right, so they got two guys that really fit that description. They cast lots. Because in the Old Testament, that was a way that you would discern uh, God's will between a matter. You'd cast lots. That's the last time in the Bible you see someone casting lots. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's about to come. We're not relying on lots anymore. We're not relying on fleeces anymore. We have the Holy Spirit. So they cast lots. The lot falls to this guy. He's the new guy. What do they do? They go back to praying. And when they go back to praying, at the right time, God sends the Holy Spirit, and they're filled. So this is a pattern that they're already stepping into, is this pattern of prayer as preparation for a new season. Jesus said something in Luke 2. In fact, hold your place in Acts 13, and let's just look at Luke 2 for a minute. Actually, it's Mark 2. Let's go to Luke 5. Sometimes we... Sometimes when there's a story told in three different Gospels, you get the numbers mixed up. But in Luke 5, uh, the disciples of John, the disciples of John were always asking weird questions. Um, and they come to Jesus and they go, um, verse 33, Luke 5, 33. And they said to him, the disciples of John, or sorry, this isn't um, 
it's not the disciples of John that are asking this question, but they're referenced. They said the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, you cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? But the days will come, and when the bridegroom is taken away from them, they will fast in those days. So he's not saying fasting is done. He's saying, right now I'm with them. And during this time where I'm physically with them, it's not the time for them to fast. The other thing about this is that there's a difference between the fasting they would do before Jesus came to the fasting they do after. Especially the kind of fasting that Jesus is being asked about. He's not being asked about the fasting that Daniel did. He's not being asked about the kind of fasting that, that uh, the prophets would do. He's being asked about the kind of fasting that the Jews would do because the Messiah had not come. There was this fasting of yearning and longing for something that hadn't come. He's saying, I'm here. Here I am. Not time to fast. But he doesn't say fasting is done. He just says, when I go back, they'll fast again. And we see that example throughout the book of Acts. They fast. Before and after the coming of the Spirit, fasting is a part of their life. This is not something that he did away with, but it's also different. You see, in the old covenant, a lot of times your fasting would be a fasting of, of repentance, a fasting of, you know, of uh, sometimes a, almost a self-punishment fasting. And you don't see this in the New Testament, uh, uh, you know, like I need to discipline my body. In fact, Paul says bodily discipline is of very little profit. But he says godliness is, is of great, great profit. This is really important for you. We see that fasting in the New Testament has some similar elements, certainly to the kind of fast that Daniel did when Daniel uh, is, is looking through his book and he sees that it's been 70 years since they've been in Babylon, and Jeremiah said, for 70 years you'll be in Babylon. He goes, 70 years have come. Why isn't anybody praying about this? See, our attitude is if God prophesied it'll happen, we don't need to do anything. Daniel doesn't take that attitude. Where's my part in this? So he goes and he prays, and he fasts, and he repents for, his, for, for the sins of the nation. He repents on behalf of his people, but he also prays, God, show us something. God, do in us what you need to do. And that was that great vision where for 21 days he waits for the answer, and then the angel comes, and there's been a battle for the angel to get there. And he gets this vision that far surpasses the next couple years. It's, he sees a vision that, and gets an explanation of a vision that, that's going to go like to the end times. So there's elements of that. But you see that when they were fasting and preparing What's God doing in us when we're fasting? This isn't about saying, God, feel sorry for us. Look how much we're punishing ourselves. Do you think God responds to that? Do you think he needs to respond to that? No. He's not responding to your patheticness. What is he responding to? I mean, what, what, what's happening in fast? Are we trying to get God, like if I do enough, God will speak. God wants to speak. But through fasting, something's changing in us. Through fasting and prayer, what we're doing. Now, I put those two together because fasting without prayer, what are you doing? Right? But when you're fasting and praying, something's happening. And if listen, if you've had this, you know, I, I've, I've talked to people that have had such a legalistic view of fasting that it's hands off. They don't even want to touch it because they're viewing it in that old covenant way. They're not seeing it as something that's really a blessing in their spiritual life. And see, when we talk about the fasting and praying that, that we see in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, we're seeing something where we are devoting ourselves to hear from God. We are, we're saying the flesh is not my, my boss today. My body's not my boss. I'm going to give the spirit all the attention here. I'm not, I'm not giving my body the attention. I'm giving the spirit the attention. The more you get this, something changes in you. You get into a place where you are able to focus and hear from God in a different way. You're putting the priorities back in order. That's not all there is to it, but let's move on for a minute. Jesus says, and he goes on to say this. He was telling them a parable. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, you will both tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. No one puts new wine into, an old, into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. So you've lost both. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. 
And no one after drinking old wine wishes for new, for he says the old is good enough. So what we're saying here is, he's saying, listen, I've got something that, that there's going to have to be a new container for it. There's gonna have, you're going to have to be changed. And I believe he's talking about a new kind of fasting, but he's also talking about what he's doing in his disciples, what, what's going to happen in them. The old ways aren't going to work anymore. They have to change and the ways need to change. When we're talking about preparing for a new season, sometimes this is what we're talking about. Yeah, we want God to inform us. Lord, give me the information I need. Tell me what I need to know about the new season. But you also need to be transformed. We need some new wineskins in us to prepare for the new things. And thank God when you got born again, something happened, right? You became a new wineskin, which the Holy Spirit could be poured into. But I also believe there's refreshing and there's, there's God does something in us through this. But let's go on to Acts 13. And this is really where I, I want to spend a chunk of time here. I just love the church in Antioch. What a wonderful church. The problem with the church in Jerusalem is that they, um, they kind of fell into the old human habit of wanting to gather everybody together and just stay together. When we were talking uh, on Wednesday nights through the book of Revelation, we talked about the death of Babylon. We talked about where Babylon came from. The origins of Babylon was a little place called Babel. What they tried to do at Babel? They tried to build the tower to heaven, right? So a lot of times when we tell that story, we focus on the tower. The tower is bad. But you know the command that God gave humanity before that? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. What does it say they tried to do at Babel? Stay here. Right? It says, let's stop spreading out. Let's build ourselves a city. And let's stay here. They were rejecting the command to spread out and fill the earth. And they said, let's build ourselves a city and let's make ourselves strong. Because that's, that's what we try to do in our own flesh. Keep everybody in one place. Let's make ourselves strong. What's the command of the Lord? Fill the earth. So what did Jesus say to his disciples? That they were going to go into all the world and preach the gospel. They are going to make disciples. That, that, you know, they were going to preach this here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. They didn't get out of Jerusalem. Right? Because we want the church in Jerusalem is hopping. We got all the apostles. Show up on any given day and a different great speaker is going to speak. We got, we got all the gifts. We got all the people. We got stuff. This is vibing. This is the place. You all want to come here. But what's the command? Go spread the gospel. What do they want to do? Gather. So it's not until Stephen starts preaching and is eventually killed and Saul starts persecuting the church that they spread out and finally a guy named Philip goes to Samaria and a group of people from Cyrene start preaching to people other than Jews. They start preaching to Gentiles and from there the church in Antioch is formed. Now they hear about this church in Antioch that's preaching to Jews and Greeks, God forbid, and they go, we, we need to do something about this. Let's send, our, let's send our, one of our main encouragers. Let's send one of our, our guys that knows how to recognize the grace of God. He's a good man. He's full of faith. Let's send Barnabas. And Barnabas is going to take his buddy. Barnabas decides to take his buddy Saul, who we're going to later call Paul. He's going to take him, and they're going to go to Antioch and see what's what. And they start preaching and teaching in this church in Antioch. One day a prophet from Jerusalem comes down and says, there's going to be a famine in the whole world. And they go, including here? And he goes, yeah, including here everywhere. So instead of the instinct, remember the instinct to gather and to hoard is the same thing they had at Babel, which we're not going to get into it, but you really think about it, the day of Pentecost undid Babel. It, it was the opposite of Babel. So instead of the instinct to hoard, there's famine coming, we should just stop spending, we should start saving, they take up an offering and send it out. You see the spirit in this church? The spirit in this church is let's send out. God will provide. Let's send out. How many of you want that to be what, what, the way we look at life here in the Word Church? We're not just saying, let's get them all here. Let's get everything here. We want to we wanna spread out. We want to send out. We want to give out of ourselves, Right? So here they do, they take up an offering. Paul and Barnabas, they go and they take the offering back to Jerusalem. When they come back, 
Then all these prophets and apostles and different gifts are gathering together. And here's the picture we see in Acts chapter 13. They're ministering to the Lord. It says in verse 1, there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, not politically correct now, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, here's the deal. They don't know what's coming, right? We know what's coming because we read the book. We, we peaked. We did the spoiler alert. We found out what's going to happen. They don't know what's supposed to happen. They don't know that the first missionary journey that's going to change the world is going to start in a few minutes. Not a few minutes, but right away. They don't know that's about to happen. They don't know who's in their midst that's going to do it. They just know something's supposed to happen. We don't know what, so let's, let's fast. Let's just minister to the Lord. There's a difference between ministering to the Lord and fasting and, and, and saying, God, we need an answer. God, we need an answer. God, we need an answer. Sometimes that's okay, but I really think the best form of worship is just when you just come with, with no expectation other than to minister to God and let him speak. And here's what happens. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So here's what we see. They were already fasting and praying. Then they get this word from the Holy Spirit. Now they fast and pray, but it's for a different purpose. Before, they were just ministering to the Lord. Now, it's because something big is happening in Paul and Barnabas' life. They're going to be used for something big. Let's fast and pray about this. Then they lay their hands on them, and they sent them out. You see, what we would do in 2018 is we'd have just a really good strategy session. How do we reach the world? I think we should send letters, or I think we should send this guy or that guy. Do you know what they do? They hear from the Lord. The Lord gives them a plan. They implement it. And it comes not from really smart people having really good ideas. It comes from prayer, fasting, and ministering to the Lord. That's really where the good stuff comes from, right? Then they fast and pray some more, and they lay their hands on these guys. I send them out. In chapter 14, go ahead. It says... It's chapter 14, verse 23. It says, when they had appointed, this is Paul and Barnabas going through and preaching in different places. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, these are leaders that are going to lead the church, they appoint them in every city. Having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. You see the pattern in this church the pattern of the way they did something, when they were going to put someone new into a new area of ministry, they say, let's pray and fast about this. Let's pray and fast together. Then we're going to lay our hands on you. Then we're going to do it. We're so, we're so in a rush sometimes. If the need is there, we need to put somebody in a position right now. Do you know what they said? Let's spend some time. Let's fast and pray. Why? They already know it's the will of the Lord. But they're doing this because these guys don't know what they're about to step into. These elders that are being appointed, they're not ready for it yet, but they will be ready. God's going to do something in them. So Paul and Barnabas took the time to say, okay, guys, you're the, you're the guys. Let's fast and pray together. Then we're going to lay our hands on you. Then we're going to leave. We're going to leave you here. But don't worry. The God that called you is the God that equipped you. You're able to handle this. That's big. That's big, and I don't think there's any reason we shouldn't be doing that now. Right? You talk about the lines we draw, all right? There is a definite line before the cross and after the cross. There's a line. Before the resurrection and after the resurrection, there's a line, right? Before Pentecost and after Pentecost, there's a line. There is no reasonable line between Acts 14 and 2018, right? There's a different culture, but this isn't a cultural thing. There are different methods to reach people, but this isn't about methods. This is a spiritual thing. So you can't say, well, John's dead. The apostle John is the last apostle to die. We don't fast anymore. That's silly. What's changed? Nothing's changed. 
We're still the people of God. Why are they fasting? Are they fasting so that they say, Lord, look at our pathetic state. We haven't eaten so long. My, 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 you could see my ribs, God. So, so please, let me be an elder. No. They're saying, I don't, I don't know what I need to know. I, I, I'm not completely who I need to be yet. But, but God, in this time, you're going you're gonna to do something in me. You're doing something in me that's equipping me for this season. I just want to challenge you right now in a good way. That as you're stepping into new seasons, be humble enough to recognize you don't know. You think you know what that new season is. You don't know. You might think, well, we're, God told us. Here's the last thing he said was he told us to wait. All right, cool. But if you prayed while you were waiting, you might know that there's a peace missing. Like the early church knew when Peter stood up. You might say, well, we don't have, there's not a new season coming up. There's nothing we really need to pray and fast about. Okay, fine. What about the church in Antioch who's just ministering to the Lord? What if we just ministered to the Lord? You don't know what you don't know. And some of you are, God's preparing you for a new season, and you think, well, I need to go to school, or I, I need, to get some, uh, need to get some books about this. I need to talk to somebody who's been there. That's all fine and good. But I want to talk to you that, yeah, God wants to inform you during that prayer. He'll tell you things you don't know. But he wants to transform you in that time. You'll be turned into a different person. You're still the same follower of Jesus. You're still the same son or daughter of the king. But there are things in you that he's shifting because it's a new time. It's a new season for you. And some of those things can only come in the presence of God. It says they fasted and they prayed and then they laid their hands on them. I think all those three things are important. Because the apostles weren't so proud as to think they didn't have, they didn't just say, you guys need to fast. You know, that's typical what we do now, right? Hey, we're already in the ministry, guys. We know what we're supposed to do. You guys need to fast. Come back to us when you're done, then we'll lay our hands on you. I love that Paul and Barnabas entered into that with them. Fasting is not a punishment, folks. It's not a proving ground. It's a wonderful gift from God. Prayer is not a discipline that you just do so that God will like you more. He already likes you. He already loves you. Prayer is that time where we are fellowshipping with God. We're changed in those moments. Something changes in us. That's, that's the most beautiful thing. That's why you don't just come to God with your needs. Come to God with your needs, but don't just come to God with your needs. Because it's that time of, of, of relationship and fellowship with God that he begins to communicate things and he begins to plant things in you. And in those times, you're a different person. You know, Jesus, before his ministry, what did he do? He fasted and he prayed. The servant isn't above his master. What did these guys do? They fasted and they prayed. I, want to, I just want to put this out there that, that uh, this doesn't just have to happen when you're being appointed for a big job. There are times you feel a sense of yearning that God is pulling me into something different. Maybe it's a sense of graduation. Like I'm, I'm about to, I, I think God wants me to grow up in some areas. I think he wants me to go deeper. I think, I think, he, I think he wants me to be stretched. So when you try to do that in your flesh, listen, what, the, what does the scripture tell us? He talks about the worship of the will. He talks about people who just discipline their flesh by their flesh. Let me tell you something. If you're using your flesh to discipline your flesh, you're only going to make the flesh stronger. Everything we do is done by the Spirit. So in a time of fasting and praying, I'm not trying to make myself stronger. I'm saying, God, this is, this is you. What do you want to do in me? What do you want to do in this season? I want to be informed. I want to be transformed. But at the end of the day, I want to be conformed to his image. I want to look more like Jesus at the end of this. I want to look more like Jesus at the end of this. And I love that. I look back at those times in my life where I've, I've spent, you know, we should, prayer should be a regular part of our life every day. But I, I know there's been seasons where I, I set time aside. This was time for him. 
you set time aside and you say, this is a time of prayer, of fasting. I don't know what I need. I don't know. I don't have any goals by the end of this. I just want to devote this time to the Lord. And in those times, God's preparing in you. Maybe things that you're not going to need for another 10 years. But he's already beginning to plant and he's beginning to mature some things. He's beginning to grow things. And you're going to look more like Jesus at the end of this season. I've never been through a season of growth or promotion that didn't feel like a battle. Do you know what I mean? Now, sometimes it feels more positive because people are smiling through the process. But in reality, it's like I said, a season of opportunity is very similar to a season of adversity. What did Paul say? He said, a wide door for effective service has opened for me, and there are many adversaries. Every time God opens a new door, wide, he opens it wide. You don't have to even push it open. It's already open. It's wide. There's effective service on the other side. You're going you're gonna to see the result of what you're doing. Yep. It's going to be effective. It's going to be fruitful. But there's also going to be adversaries because, you know, there's an enemy that doesn't like that. Right? Not only that, if there were no enemy, listen, let's just say this. Let's say the devil didn't exist. All right? Let's say there was no enemy. There's no, nobody fighting against you. It would still feel like a battle when you're being stretched because you're going to have to rely on God in a way you haven't relied on God before. You're going to have to grow more into Jesus than you've been before because right in this moment, he's teaching you to live by his grace and not by your ability. Right? I mean, I remember, this is the, the thing, I've told you about this. When I first started preaching, Saturday nights were the worst nights. Some of you can identify. Saturday nights, I hated Saturday nights. Why? Because Saturday nights, I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. God, I know, I don't know how I can do this. God, can you please cancel church somehow? Snowstorm in the middle of July. Something, can I just not do this? And I'm not saying that was the right attitude, but it was the attitude I had. Well, I was like, you know, Lord, if I don't have you, I've got nothing. But the problem with that is if you preach enough, you can still get up and preach like you know what you're doing and, 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 and kind of do okay. But there's no life in it, right? There's no power in it. So what do you do when you start to get good at doing something that you used to have to rely on God 100% for? It takes more effort in those times to go back and rely on Jesus than it did at the first. Because the first you had no choice. Now you have a choice. When I first started playing the bass, man, I mean like, I didn't have the calluses I needed on my fingers. Those first three weeks, there was blood on the bass. If you look close, the, there was blood on the bass because my fingers were bleeding while I was playing. I'm constantly just staring at the music stand trying to keep up. I'm praying in the spirit the whole time. My first chance playing with the praise and worship team was a ladies' meeting, a ladies' conference. So if I didn't already feel out of place, <laughs> I know Blood on the Bass sounds like an awesome album name, <laughs> but it wasn't awesome. I'm suffering. And... Uh, I was like, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. But you know, after playing for a while, you can play without. You could show up and just not really prayed. You could show up and not really prepared. You could show up and be in a total different headspace and still do okay. And most people say, you did fine. That's not what God wants. It's yeah. not what I want. That's right. But you can, you can fake it. Yeah. You can make it work. So what I had to learn as a musician was probably the, 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 the thing I didn't expect to have to learn was I had to learn to rely on God in areas I was competent. Because your own competence is your own worst enemy at times. Because if you're not careful, you fall back into, I can do this in my own strength. And you, Jesus said it clearly, apart from me, you can't do a thing. So it might have the semblance of something, but it'll burn. When the tests come, when the fire comes, it burns up because it wasn't built with the right thing. It wasn't built on the right, right foundation. It was built with the wrong materials. I don't want to fall into that position. And I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying that to encourage you. That God stretches you and, and brings you into new seasons. And, and in those seasons, you discover more of who he is. You grow into him. I want to encourage you. I know this is maybe... Uh, there's, there's part of this that's abstract, and there's part of this that's just really, really practical. 
Maybe for you, now I, listen, oh, I've talked to people, like I said, who the reason they didn't, they, they, fasting wasn't a part of their life, prayer wasn't, intensive prayer wasn't a part of their life is because they grew up in a church culture where that was viewed very legalistically. It was treated like this was a work you do and God will, God will if you do it and you suffer enough, God will look kindly on you. So rather than relying on the work that Jesus did, now they're back to relying on the work that they're doing. So no wonder everybody's just happy when it's done. But I look in Acts 13 and they seem to be quite happy doing what they're doing. And I know it doesn't say that, but you just see the way it's worded. There they are, fasting, ministering to the Lord. A couple commentaries say that it's hinted at here. Now you could take this or leave it. But it's hinted at that they started ministering to the Lord and they just got so caught up in it, they stopped eating. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Let's just keep this going. Well, let's not even take breaks for food. Let's just keep going. And then they fasted intentionally when it was time to send Saul and Barnabas away. If we really believe that God is leading you and leading us in a different season, I want to challenge you to trust that God can use this, uh, these significant intentional times of prayer to do things in you and put things in you you don't have. Every time God calls you, he calls you to things you're not capable of. And that's wonderful. Yeah. And there's that moment of deer in the headlights where you're like, please, I wish you hadn't said this to me. <laughs> Say it to someone else. You mean someone else. I know you don't mean me. You, you missed. You missed. Put your hand on that person. What he's doing is he's saying, no, of course you're not ready for this. Nobody's ever ready for this. I'm ready for this, though. Because I'm ready, you'll be ready. Now let's take some time and pray through this and come to him like Solomon and say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to go out out of this season. I don't know how to go into the next one. But you know. God, I'm not who I need to be, but I, 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 I am who I need to be for this season. I don't think I'm who I need to be for that season. He says, okay, I'm doing a work in you now. In fact, like he said to Jeremiah, here's the great thing. Jeremiah 1, Jeremiah is saying, I'm young, I'm a youth, I can't do this. What does God say? I've already put my words in your mouth. That's an amazing thing. He doesn't say, Jeremiah, someday I'm going to put some words in your mouth and you're going to say them. He says, I already put them there. You just didn't know they were there. Like that gift of a prophet was just sitting there dormant until God called it out and, and something woke up in Jeremiah. And, and what's our first instinct when God wakes things up in us? You got the wrong guy. No, here's the reasons why I can't do that. He says, I'm just a youth. And what does God say to him? Don't ever say that again. So you just fill in the blank. Whatever you've, whatever you've said, when God says, this is who you are, this is what I'm going to call out of you, and you go, no, nope, wrong person, and here's why. We've all got those lists. Look, I can give you a great list why I'm not, I should not be a pastor. Don't worry, it's not like any hidden closet sin, guys. <laughs> People are like, no, just, just areas where I'm, I'm probably the wrong guy for this, God. And he goes, don't ever say those things again. Stop saying that. Because he says this to Jeremiah, where I send you, you'll go. And what I tell you to say, you'll say. And he goes, hey, Jeremiah, what do you see here? He says, I see an almond tree. He goes, that's right. Now, the almond tree was one of the first to wake up in the spring. It's one of the first things to wake up. Also, the word for almond tree is very similar to the Hebrew word for awake. He says, see, I'm, I'm awakening things. I'm starting things. He says, here's a, here's a pot. He says, I'm, I'm taking care of my word. I'll make sure it happens. He says, here's a pot. What do you see? I see a boiling pot. He says, I'm watching over my word to perform it. I'm, I'm going to make sure that what I've said is going to get done. That's not your job. Your job is not to make my call happen. Your job is not to make my prophecies come true. Your job is not to make my ministry work. Your job is to go where I tell you and say what I tell you to say. Prepare yourself, Jeremiah, because you've said I'm only a youth, but I've already created you. When you were in your mom's womb, I was doing something in you. Did you know there are things in you you don't know are there? Like, there's just things in us we're not even aware of because it wasn't the season for them. It wasn't the season, but then God's going to call them out. God's going to wake them up. Here's the good thing. 
There's a time of preparation for these seasons. So maybe you're here today and you just say, well, I don't, I, I'm kind of comfortable where I am. Well, then that might be a sign it's time for a change. <laughs> right? If you've gotten real comfortable where you are, maybe it's time for something where you're a little uncomfortable. Maybe you say, okay, I know that something's coming. I just don't know what it is. Well, you need to be informed, don't you? You need God to show you some things you don't know. Praise the Lord. You're in a great place to do that. Maybe you say, I kind of know some things, but I'm not ready for them. Oh, good. He can do that in you. Maybe you say, I, I, I know he's changing me. I know he's telling me some things. I know he's getting me ready. I don't know if really I'm going to be able to stick through this. I don't really know if at the end of this I'm going to be able to say I, I, I did it well. And he's going to say, through this whole thing, you're going to get closer to me. At the end of the process, by the end of all this, because really what God's doing right now is just training. He's training you to be kings and queens in the next life. He's training you to rule and reign with him. This is training time right now. So he's going to take you and he's going to tour you across some things and he's say, what would you do in this situation? You go, I don't know. He's going to say, well, here's what you do. He's going to put you in situations where you're, something's required of you that you don't have and you have to learn how to rely on him to do it. He's a really good trainer. Amen. He's a really good father. He'd never leave you in it. He'd never abandon you and say, I'll see you in 10 months. He's going to stick with you. At the end of the whole process, we're going to stand up. And when this is all said and done, the dust is cleared, and you wiped off your battle scars and all of that, at the end of the day, you're going to look more like Jesus. And that's the best thing that could have happened. And that's more important than, than the work you did. That's more important that the than the people you reached. All of those things are good. But the most important thing is you're going to look more like Jesus. You're going to be more like him. You're going to be closer to him than you ever were. And because of that, the people you're touching, they're closer to Jesus too. So I don't know where you're at. I think it would be weird for me to preach this and everybody just go home and say, well, maybe he'll talk about this next year. I'm not telling you you need to fast this week either. I'm telling you, let's begin a, a, a lifestyle of ministering to the Lord through our various ways of doing it, where we're always in a state of expectation of God, what are you doing in me right now? And when you come to a season that's new and you don't know what to do, your instinct is to self-educate. You know, I was in a group of ministers back early this year, and David McGrew said something that really stuck with me. He said, you know, it's impossible to really be self-educated. He said, because the word educated actually comes from the Latin word for duke, which means to be led forth. And you can't lead yourself. Because you don't know wh where you're going. You don't know where you need to go because you've never been there before. So there's an, there's an element of being self-educated. But at the end of the day, if you're just self-educated, you're just going to learn the things you want to learn and you think you need to learn. One of the beauties of somebody else in your life is they begin to tell you things you don't know you need. Right? You don't even want to learn these things. How many times in school did you say, when am I ever going to use that? Yeah. Well, you know, the point of school is not just teaching you things that you're absolutely going to use in a very specific sense. Sometimes the point of school is teaching things you don't, need to, you don't think you need to know, you don't know you need to know, but it's causing your brain to change. That's the beauty of it. You're learning things you don't think you need. Because if it was up to you, just learn about race cars. This is all I care about. This is what I love. You would just learn about what you think you needed. That's why, guys, let me just say, that's why when someone gets out of a body for too long, what do they do? They sit at home and they watch YouTube and they say, this is what I love to watch. So they become experts in one little thing. They got one muscle that's just bulging out. <laughs> but they're ill-equipped in all the other areas because it's the people around us that cause us to grow in areas we don't think we need to grow. Somebody, you, you come to church and you go, oh, he's preaching about that. I don't really care about that. Good. Learn something. You know, God spurs things in us when we hear these things and go, I didn't know I needed to know that. And then you start talking to someone after church. You go out for lunch and they start talking about something God put on their heart. And you say, I hope we can change the subject soon. I don't find that interesting. 
What God's doing is he's starting to refine some areas in you you don't think are re need refining. Those are probably the areas you need it the most. So that we are coming to a rounded, more perfect, maturing into the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ. God's bringing you into a new season. God's bringing us into a new season. Here's what I'd like from you today. I would like for you to commit some time in the next two weeks to praying about this season that God's calling us to as a church. If you consider this your church, you belong to this body. Some of us are going to fast. We're all going to pray. Now, I know it's 2018, so we got 31 different flavors of fasting that people, you know. <laughs> I'm fasting Twitter, but not Facebook. You know what I mean? <laughs> Fasts are like fad diets these days, right? There's like a book for whatever fast. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how to do it. But would you take some time to pray in the next two weeks? Set some time aside and pray if the Lord leads you to fast fast. And I want you to spend some time and, and, and just minister to the Lord. Set some time that's for nobody else but him. Your phone's off. If you're using your iPad for your Bible, put it on airplane mode. This is for him. Say, Lord, I, I, I don't know what I need to know, but you know. So inform me. Lord, I, I, I am who I need to be right now. In Christ, I can do all things. But there's some things you're going to plant in me that I don't have that I'm going to need in the next season. So transform me. And Lord, I want to be more like you through this whole thing. So conform me to your image. And if you can, move out of the individual, Lord, do this for me. And start to pray about us. God, where are you bringing us? And I believe God will honor that. Amen. Amen. Just to put a natural end cap to it, I'd say let's do this before the week of prayer. Between now and the week of prayer, and I believe God's going to do some things in the week of prayer for our city. Amen. I think if we're prepared for it, that's the thing. Yeah. You kind of got to be prepared to be prepared. If we'll prepare ourselves, you see, it's like coming to church. Those first two song, fast songs aren't to get you ready to just get in church mode, right? They're songs of praise to God. Right. If you came to church prepared, you wouldn't need a few songs to get you in the mood. Right. <laughs> You'd come ready to worship the Lord. Amen. Amen? Amen? Let's prepare for what God's doing. Can you stand up with me?